0: This episode is brought to you by Rabbit Air. Rabbit Air produces award-winning air purifiers, some of the best in the industry. Every day, we breathe in nearly 2,000 gallons of air and research shows that poor air quality impairs cognitive performance. To keep your air clean, Rabbit Air offers high-end air purifiers with customized filtration, smart sensing technology, and advanced HEPA filters that can trap particles 0.3 microns in size at 99.97% efficiency. Bruin owned and operated, Rabbit Air is a proud partner of UCLA alumni. Visit rabbitair.com for more information.
1: Welcome to the Bruin Success Podcast. My name is Kelsey Bissecker and I serve as Associate Director of Alumni Career Engagement with the UCLA Alumni Association. And I'm here with our co-host, Sarah Mosgrove, Assistant Director of Alumni Career Engagement. This season on Bruin Success, we're featuring career changers. From studying one degree and deciding to go on another path to pivoting later in your career, we want to normalize that change happens and chat with Bruins who've gone through it. Today's guest is Ryan Dusick. Ryan is an associate marriage and family therapist with an MA in clinical psychology and the founding drummer of the world's most popular band, Maroon 5. As a boy, he dreamt of pitching for the Dodgers and writing adventure novels. Arm injuries sidelined his burgeoning baseball career just as rock music became his new passion and purpose. Founding the band Cars Flowers in 1994 with fellow Brentwood High School students Jesse Carmichael, Mickey Madden, and Adam Levine, Ryan worked tirelessly through his college years at UCLA before the band changed its name to Maroon 5 and finally had its first hit record, Songs About Jane. Multiple hit songs, two Grammy Awards, and 20 million albums sold later, Ryan found himself suffering and without direction as his career as a performer came to an end, just as it was taking off. Struggling with physical and mental health challenges, Ryan finally overcame his struggles in 2016, when he began his journey of recovery, culminating in a new life path full of meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. Now working as a mental health professional at the Missing Peace Center for Anxiety in Agoura Hills, California, Ryan is spreading the message that recovery is possible and some astounding things can come with it. Welcome, Ryan, to the podcast. All right. Well, welcome to the Brewing Success Podcast, Ryan. We're so excited to have you here.
2: Thank you so much for having me on. It's, uh, it's an honor.
1: To start us off with, tell us a little bit about what you studied at UCLA and then what you did leading up to your current role.
2: Yeah, well, I started at UCLA in 1995, uh, so another lifetime ago, I suppose. Uh, and I was not I was undeclared when I started as a freshman because I was in a band that was getting signed to a record deal and making a record. So the first couple of years I was there, uh, I didn't really have a whole lot of direction in terms of my academics uh, and went off into the world and and went on tour for a year in between. Uh, but I came back and I, and I re-enrolled at UCLA after that album failed and, um, and I declared an English major. Uh, so I was there until 2001, uh, the last three years there getting my English degree. And it was really one of the best times of my life, to be honest with you.
1: (laughs) I love that. And what made you choose English, I guess, on the way, when you came back going from undeclared to English?
2: Well, music had been so much of what I was focused on and what I was doing professionally and all of my you know, personal time was dedicated to my band and, and writing music, recording music, performing. Uh, so I don't know. We were on a hiatus from the band. It, we didn't know if we were going to keep going. Um, and I just wanted to do something different than music, uh, but still within the humanities or arts. Um, and I took it as kind of a challenge because... Reading is actually not, I'm like, I'm not a fast reader, even though I enjoy reading and I love literature. Uh, The idea of being an English major, I knew you had to do a ton of reading in a pretty short period of time. Um, And I thought, well, here's a challenge for me. (laughs) I always liked writing is the thing. Since I was a kid, I had fantasies of uh, writing novels. And, uh, and so it just kind of made sense as an adjunct to my, uh, what I was doing in music.
1: I love that. I uh, My favorite class in my undergrad was a creative writing class, and it was such an interesting kind of class to kind of put pen to paper and have all these, you know, a fun story come out. So I love that.
0: It's kind of come full circle now, because even though you may not be writing novels, you do have a book now, which we'll we'll touch on later. But um, can we um, kind of do a, a flash to the, the future now? Um, can you tell us a little bit about your current role?
2: Yeah, um, well, I went back to school and actually got a master's degree in clinical psychology at Pepperdine uh, a couple of years ago and um, ended up becoming a therapist. And uh, (laughs) so not something I ever foresaw in the past, Uh, certainly when I was getting an English degree and when I was in a rock band, I didn't think I would end up being a a marriage and family therapist someday. But it's it's actually uh, one of the most fulfilling things I've done in my life. And it has led to a lot of new and interesting things. As you said, I've written this book, Harder to Breathe, which just came out in November. Um, And so I I am using my English degree (laughs) now. And that's I'm sort of starting two careers or three careers at the same time right now.
1: You have this current, you know, like you said, three careers kind of launching at once. You're you're the marriage and family therapist. And then what kind of was your motivation to write the book? Um, You know, I, I know it's a reflection on your on your journey, but kind of what was that that pivotal moment of, yeah, I need to write this down.
2: Well, it was uh, something that was a long time coming. I thought about writing the book probably about 10 years ago for the first time. Uh, Because what happened for me was after I left UCLA, you know, my band changed its name to Maroon 5. We made this record, Songs About Jane, and went on the road for like four years straight. And it went from, you know, us basically traveling around in a van, uh, driving ourselves around and setting up our gear and playing for, you know, a small club, all the way up to, you know, platinum records and playing on the biggest stages in the world live tv on saturday night live and the grammys and so that was quite a whirlwind there at that point in my life in my 20s and um but i had to walk away from that career in 2006 uh at the age of 28 because i was having a lot of problems on the road physically and with the demands of performing night after night for that long um And it was really a breakdown that at the time I didn't really fully understand Um, and losing that career and my identity that was wrapped up in being the drummer in Maroon Maroon 5 was uh, devastating for me. And it took about a decade for me to really get over it or, or to find closure on that chapter of my life. And during that time, I really suffered with depression and anxiety and alcoholism. And it wasn't until I started recovery from alcoholism in 2016 um, that my whole new life began. And so it it was really just, uh, I think that I started, I thought about writing the book when I was still in my suffering. And I knew I had a story to tell. And I knew that it was, I had done some interesting things and had some interesting tales to tell. But I didn't really know what the point would be. Uh, it seemed like it would maybe just be self-serving just to put out a a book, and uh, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to look um thirsty as the as the young people say these days, <laughs> you know. So I I uh I didn't do it then. But then when I was in recovery, and I had been telling my story uh in in AA meetings and at, at recovery centers and doing a lot of, you know, trying to be of service and give back, volunteering at a recovery center. That's when the inspiration to go back to school and become a therapist began. And in my studies to become a therapist, I had to do a lot of self-reflection papers and was doing a lot more writing, a lot more thinking about my journey and how the things I was learning about psychology applied to the things I didn't understand when I was younger about myself. And so it just kind of became very apparent to me in my second year of grad school that uh, this book had a purpose now. Uh, It was something that could actually help some people. And, you know, if I told my story in a really honest and vulnerable way, that hopefully people could relate to the things I struggled with, and then hopefully relate to my recovery if they can see themselves in my struggle. So uh, that was the reason why I started writing it when I did. You know, I did it while I was in grad school, still getting my master's degree, which is something I wouldn't recommend to most people. (laughs) But I was on a mission, I really felt like this was something, this was what the next phase of my life was going to be. It was going to be about being of service and, you know, hopefully helping some people in whatever way I can, whether it's one-on-one or in groups or uh, with a book. And so it became this, this really fulfilling process of, well, writing the book was therapy unto itself as well for me. You know, It was like really, as I said, closure on that chapter of my life and 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 finding new meaning in it. And then finding new meaning and moving forward into this new path uh, of being a therapist and a mental health advocate.
0: I love that you were able to take a really difficult chapter in your life and process it through your writing and then be able to turn that into something so positive. Um, what what would you, if you were to sort of boil down the message of your journey in your book, what would be one thing that you would want uh, your readers to take away from it?
2: Well, number one, it's a it's a message of hope. I, you know, there, I would say there's hope even when you can't see it, which I certainly couldn't see for years. You know, um, and and I think that. My attempt to to write a book in a in a really vulnerable way um, was also my attempt to encourage people to uh, come to a place of realizing that you don't have to have all the answers. That it's okay to say, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, and I need some help. And so ultimately, I'm trying to contribute to uh, a dialogue in which you know we de- destigmatize asking for help um whether it be going to therapy or you know going into recovery from addiction or whatever form of struggle you're going through um it's a message that you know there is hope in recovery and if you can um you know ask for help it's out there and you, you can find it
1: I think that's an important reminder for a lot of our listeners especially is it's okay to ask for help as someone who myself I struggle with asking for help sometimes it's an important reminder to know that If you are not afraid to ask for it, there will be someone there to help you. Now that you have firmly gotten into this role and some of the mindset changes, because like you said, now you're, you know, your mental health advocate, and especially for a lot of our listeners who, you know, mental health is still a new topic that's being talked about nowadays um openly i should say and we're putting words to it we're speaking about it um and seeing its importance um so what are some of those mindset changes and kind of what you hope as part of this book as part of what you do in your work now that you hope listeners will kind of understand regarding you know different mental health in general
2: well i i think you're right that the 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 public discourse about mental health is much more prominent now than it was even 10 20 years ago uh which i i'm i'm enjoying seeing the fact that people are talking about it and that there is an attempt to destigmatize uh the topics around mental health that's so important because so so many people are are blocked from getting the help they need just because they they don't they're not aware of the availability of it or it's just so stigmatized within their culture or their community That admitting that you're suffering or admitting that you need help, um, you know, gets in the way of finding it. Um, And so to be a part of that dialogue, I see it on social media. I see people sharing their stories and being really vulnerable. That's a relatively new idea to, to share your vulnerabilities publicly, especially for men. You know, I, that's one of the things that I, if, if nothing else, I'd like to to contribute to, and hopefully I did with my book. And when I'm t- when I'm speaking to groups and stuff, you know, what I try to do is to be a model of of vulnerability for men, because uh, I think I, in in my work I'm seeing it so much now, working with with adult men that have gone their whole lives just completely blocking out parts of themselves because it's too vulnerable to deal with, or because they grew up with the message that. Uh, you know, a man is supposed to be tough, a man is supposed to be strong, uh, men don't show their emotions, men don't feel things like fear and anxiety, or, uh, you know, uh, they're not in touch with their feminine side. Maybe some cultures are, are more comfortable than, with that than others. Um, but I think that we all have a masculine side and a feminine side within us. And to be able to embrace all of ourselves is a great starting point of self-awareness and knowing what our needs are and knowing why we may suffer in some of the ways that we do and where our resources are within ourselves that we may not even be aware of.
0: I think that's so important to acknowledge that we all have mental health and that's regardless of identity, any of our identities Um, and that in order to really live fulfilling lives and happy lives. we do need to do some work sometimes on ourselves and acknowledge our feelings or feel our feelings. And um, that's definitely something that um, I'm, I'm happy to hear that within the therapeutic community, uh, there are people doing work on that and people that are um, reaching out and getting the help that they need and um, understanding that they can do that now um, in this kind of new and changing world that we're living in. Sort of, I guess, along those lines, um, what what advice would you give um, for someone who is looking to make a big change, whether that's career or life change, um, or is just getting ready to enter into that next season of their life?
2: I think the most important thing for me, the change that happened for me and the reason why I was able to make a big change in my life post you know, getting sober and that whole journey uh, was a mindset of growth. You know, I think that a lot of times we look at challenges uh, as threat, (laughs) you know, that's a threat to me. That's something that's scary and something to avoid as opposed to that's a challenge. That's something I can learn from or grow from, even if I fail, you know? So I I think a lot of times we don't see the opportunities that are presented to us that come and they go by and we don't take advantage of them either because we don't even notice them or we perceive them as threats, (laughs) you know? And and so for me, I think since my mindset has changed to a mindset of growth to the openness, it's really, that's what it is, the openness to the possibilities that life presents. Um, I've started to see things that in the past might have been scary to me as opportunities. And I start running towards the things that make me anxious, which is mind blowing because I was stuck in a loop of anxiety for a decade where I was pretty much avoiding anything that made me uncomfortable, um, so, you know, to be in that place where I, something makes me anxious, something makes me uncomfortable and I, and I want to run towards it and I want to conquer it <laughs> and learn from it. I, once I started doing that, like one after another avenues started opening up for me, you know, possibilities of what my life could be and where it could go. And I, I don't, I didn't even know where it was going to take me. And I still don't know, you know, where I'll be five years or 10 years from now. And that's exciting to me now, you know, <laughs> in the past, that might've been scary, Uh, wanting to have certainty, wanting to know exactly what was on the horizon and control it in some way. But if you follow, you know, your passion, and you're open to the possibilities, life will point you in the direction you need to go. You know, the things that fill you up, the things that feel fulfilling and meaningful uh, will lead you in the direction that's going to create a really full life for you. So being open to that is really the most important thing, I think.
1: And I think, like you touched on it, leaning into that uncertainty as someone who I want to know what's happening five years from now. I'm even learning myself. I can't know what's happening five years from now. Um, both Sarah and I are career changers in that way too. We're not where we thought we would be five years ago. Um, so who knows what's on the horizon, you know, five years from now. And I think leaning into that is something that I myself am still trying to learn how to do, to be okay with that uncertainty, to be okay with not knowing and seeing it as a as a place to grow um, and, you know, having that mindset is being is helpful. I'm not fully there yet, I will say, but I'm leaning into it more and getting more comfortable with that, you know, uncertainty part of it. But I think that's an important reminder especially for a lot of our high achieving, you know, Bruins and listeners who always have that drive, always have that, you know, thought at least of maybe I know where I'm going, maybe I don't, but I'm just going to keep going and, you know, it's an important reminder to be okay with it not working out necessarily as planned too.
0: Yeah, it's all a work in progress.
1: Yes, all a work in progress. So kind of touching on that a little bit, you know, you've got a great mindset going forward. What's kind of next for you? I know you said you don't know necessarily, but you know, what, what do you hope comes next out of this? Or what do you, you know, kind of, what are you going to keep your thoughts open to for what's next?
2: Well, as I said, I'm basically kind of starting three new careers at once, and, um, you know, which one will will become the the main priority? i I don't really know, but I'm a therapist, and that was the starting point and really the the basis of everything I'm doing. Um, and I uh, and a life coach, I, I've been working as a coach as well, but uh, I'm working at a clinic and I have my own clients uh, privately. So that's one realm, but with this book and kind of stepping into the, the advocacy uh, field um, I'm also doing speaking. I'm going out and doing appearances where I'm getting on stage and, and talking about my story and sharing the things I've learned. And that's a really fulfilling process that again, would have been terrifying to me at a certain point in my life, public speaking, even though I've been on stage probably a thousand times in my life as a drummer and performer, there's something about just you standing up there with a microphone alone is a little different and just talking. Uh, So I'm doing that, but, and that's really exciting to me. So, you know, I could see myself doing more and more of that. I'm, I'm booking more and more things like that now. And, uh, I want to do more writing. I mean, writing is like another passion of mine that goes back to my childhood. Before music, even really, writing was something I was passionate about. So, writing this book really gave me the bug, and I, I realized that while I'm doing these other things, uh, I don't think I'll be fully fulfilled if I'm not expressing myself and being creative in that way. Um, and it's it's not music professionally anymore, but I I know I can I can continue to write and and try to explore different places that I can go with that. So we'll see, you know, it could be an author is, is my main thing. And and the other stuff is secondary to that could be that I'm a therapist first or a speaker first. That's, that's, what's exciting. You know, it could be all of the above and, and I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. <laughs>
1: And sounds like fulfilled and, you know, have a sense of purpose with all of them, too, which I think is great. Um, And I love that the creative writing is going to continue. I mean, as a musician and again, Sarah and I have both been musicians in our past lives, too. It's such a way of expressing yourself that any kind of creativity it's it doesn't just go away when you stop being a musician it just changes and there's still that need to express yourself and so um you know having that still i think is is important and a great thing to hear
0: sounds like there's a lot of really uh exciting possibilities going back to seeing everything as an opportunity approaching things with curiosity um just on a day-to-day level, because these are more, I guess, future, long-term possibilities. On a day-to-day level, what what gets you excited? What makes you excited to get out of bed in the morning and go to your sessions with clients, or just go through your day?
2: Well, you know, as a therapist, it's uh, as much as it's fulfilling to be of service and to try to help someone who's going through something that they're really struggling with. Uh, obviously that can be really fulfilling unto itself, but it's also a process in which I learn a lot about myself and about people in general and continue to grow. Even, even in being in, in the position of the helper. Um, I th- I think that, you know, part of that openness that I talked about is is be remaining teachable, you know, and, and continuing to learn um, every time I'm confronted with a new client and with a new set of issues um, you realize that each person, as much as we have in common, we're all nuanced, and our identities are all slightly different and varied. And um all the things that that challenge people are always fascinating to me. Uh, and then then the incredible resiliency and strength that people have and the ability to to move forward with grace and overcome some really difficult things that's always inspiring to me. I mean, it's not always fun and inspiring. sometimes it's it's hard it's it is hard work you know and it can be uh draining and taxing you know um working in that field because you know you are, you do have to uh be prepared to be compassionate for long hours and and be really present with your clients and that can be that can be tiring uh but it's ultimately um it's more fulfilling than it is exhausting, and uh, I, I I I take something from it. I look at it kind of. Like, I was thinking about the other day when I go to work. The best attitude I can take to my work is, you know, why do we go to the movies and and or or sit down and watch binge watch a great TV show? We get wrapped up in the characters, right? We want to see what it is that makes these people tick. And why they are, the way they are, the way that they are, and where they're going, and how they're going to overcome this obstacle. And I get a front row seat to people doing that in real time, you know, and it unfolding right before my eyes and and walking through it with them, collaborating with them. you know, and these aren't characters, these are real people. So uh, I look at it as exciting in that way. And, and that's hopefully the mindset I can continue to take into my work, but I also just really enjoy, you know, this kind of thing, telling my story, um, doing interviews or speaking to people and, and, and realizing that the things that I've learned in my journey are useful to others. That's always just really fills me up. So that's why I love to do it.
1: And your story is so important. Like you said, you've, you've had a journey and then it's you know, every person has their own story. And like you said, the intricacies with their own identity and things like that, but talking about it and having that, you know, relatability, I guess, being able to get with them on on that level. And I have never had more respect for people in the, you know, therapeutic field because you are so empathetic and compassionate all day long. And how do you, you know, or a taxing day that may be tougher than others. Where yes, it's inspiring, but how do you take care of yourself after a day like that?
2: Self care is is a must in this profession. Not, I mean, it's a must in every profession, really. But you know, the more demands that are on you in terms of uh, giving of yourself, the more you have to step up the self care and recognize what your boundaries are. Um, that are going to be healthy for you and the ways in which you need to, you know, um, recharge those batteries that can get drained. Uh, it's a danger in that field to something we call compassion fatigue, which is also, you know, leads to burnout and you're not helping anyone if you're not able able to help yourself, you know? So it, it does become really important, um, define the the things that fill you up and that recharge those batteries. And it can be really simple things like making sure you get enough sleep and that you eat nutritiously and that the, the things you're putting in your body are, are, you know, helping you to, to stay present and, and uh, clear-minded. And uh, I'm a sober person. So that, you know, that's not an issue for me in terms of like uh, those things factoring into my lifestyle, but, uh, but, you know, and then it's other things like, like because the work is, um, you know, so you're connecting with people on such a deep level on a daily basis. Sometimes you just need downtime. You, For the first time in my life, I never understood why people wanted uh, entertainment that was just totally mindless <laughs> yeah. because I always wanted something that engaged me and and gave me something to dig into. But it's like after eight hours of, you know, being really engaged mentally and emotionally with another human being, with other human beings. Um, sometimes I just want to sit down and look at pretty colors. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so that's sometimes that's the best thing you could do for yourself to really just kind of unwind and give yourself the space to, uh, to feel like you're, you're, you're giving yourself rest.
1: I've gotten really into adult coloring books. (laughs) I don't know why they have to call them adult coloring books, but they're coloring books and I get the pretty colors. Sometimes you just need to unwind and just have that. I watch the same TV show, binge watch all of that over again. You know what's going to happen, but it's just nice to have it. I feel that on a level.
2: Yeah, and you have to have also, look, it's it's great to do things that are really meaningful and purposeful and to feel like you have something to offer. But you also have to embrace your inner child and just play and have fun sometimes. That's why I I still play softball on the weekends. Uh, On Sunday mornings, I go out and play softball. And uh, that makes me feel like I'm 12 years old again. And I'm not thinking about you know the heaviness of the human psyche. <laughs> I'm just trying to hit the ball and throw the ball and catch the ball and, and be competitive in the way I was when I was a kid. So you have to embrace all the sides of yourself. If there are parts of you that you're neglecting, you have to find ways to let those kind of flourish as well. Um, and that's why I also will just pick up a guitar and, and sing a song every now and then in the middle of my day. Uh, finding those, those outlets is important too.
0: I think giving ourselves permission to do that, too, is really important, Um, especially when we have, um, well, a lot of Bruins are go-go-go types, very high achieving, Um, and there's this sort of immediacy to our culture now where everything has to happen right away, whether it's um, at work or in our personal lives, just right now seems to be The focus, so I think taking a step back and just doing some of those things like you said unplugging. um, I'm guessing you probably aren't on your phone the entire time you're playing softball that that would be a little little sad and also a little dangerous you might get hit in the head with the ball, but um, unplugging and taking time for ourselves and just slowing down and giving ourselves the permission to do that, I think, is so important. I want to know more, actually, what um, what are what are some of your um, outlets aside from softball or what are what are the, the guilty pleasure TV shows or books or um, coloring books, I guess, in Kelsey's case?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. We, we've kind of stumbled onto a whole other uh, dialogue that's important, I think, these days. I think you hit the nail on the head that culturally. That's still a big part of our of our American culture is go 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 and that work ethic and people that don't that go two years without taking a vacation or six years, eight years, whatever you know and i'm I'm finding very quickly in in doing what I'm doing that I need to build in um some time off and I need to take some breaks and you have to have things to look forward to, travel or whatever it may be that fills you up and gives you some space from the thing that you're doing day in and day out. Um, it it is, it it is hard because, you know, you find, you see opportunity and and you're working towards something and you just want to do the best you can. And certainly if you're in a high achiever by nature, and that's, I was that way. I was always perfectionistic. I talk about that in the book, um, and put a lot of pressure on myself to achieve at a very high level. And that, that drove me to a lot of, uh, wonderful things in my life. Uh, but it also was part of my breakdown. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I'm very mindful of that now, like taking on a lot of more responsibilities and commitments that at some point there is a limit. You know, there is a point at which I have to start saying no or just, I can do that, but in due time, you know, there's, there is a threshold after which I'm not helping anyone, including myself by taking on more. And uh, so, yeah, you know, for me, Music and and baseball are two of my biggest sort of play uh, passions. Writing is something like I said earlier. I have to work that into what I do. If I were if I'm just working with other people and just giving and not doing something that's a, my own creative expression, I'm gonna feel like a big part of me is 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 missing at a certain point. So I have to make time for that for myself. Is to be creative. It's a big part of of my identity. Um, what else I exercise, you know, I don't have as much time to exercise as I did when I had less on my plate, but I try to even, even just, you know, for 15 minutes before I jump in the shower, do like a bunch of push ups and ups or whatever I can fit in just to get my heart rate going and use my muscles a little bit. That makes a big difference for me just in terms of how I feel during the day. And then when I do have a break or do have time, you know, try to do some cardio or whatever. Um, and then just, you know, it's, it gets harder and harder to make time to just have fun, go out with your friends, see your family. Um, all of that stuff is important. If you're neglecting that, um, you know, one aspect of your life is not going to make up for all the ways in which you're, you're neglecting other aspects. So uh, all of the above, really.
1: And I think you touched on you touched on this earlier, and you touched on it again, it's about setting boundaries for uh, for yourself and making sure that yeah, like you've said before, and this time of. You have to make sure you're okay before you can go help others. What is the analogy that we've I've heard a lot lately is for the like when the oxygen masks come down yeah from the airplane of like you have to put it on yourself before you help others and I think that's as like a random analogy as that is. It's it's perfect. It's exactly what you need to remember. Um and so I love that you have those fun outlets and I think, yeah, family, friends, all of those are so important. Um,
0: yeah, it really is a balancing act. I like to kind of think of it as um, like those plate spinners where you have a whole bunch of different plates going at once and you're trying not to drop them. And, oh no, this one's getting a little heavy and this one's starting to spin faster. So just being able to maintain that um, balancing act uh, is so hard sometimes, but um sounds like uh, Sounds like you have um, some great outlets to, to keep all the plates spinning, so to speak. Um, I wanted to ask, um, do you have any um, advice for someone who is shifting identity wise? You've described um, music as a big part of your identity. Now it's kind of more as um, shifted into this creative person more generally. Um, do you have any advice for for those of us out there who maybe have invested in something, whether it's music or sports or um, writing, anything, invested so much time and energy and are considering moving and shifting away from it now?
2: Yeah, thank you for asking that question because it's so important. Um, that's another one of the the central themes in in the book, Harder to Breathe, uh, because. You know, the first half of my life was so much about that dream of of being a musician and, and you know, starting a band and taking it to the top. Um, and we did that. And so achieving that dream was so much of my self-identity and so painful to lose and just not only devastating and heartbreaking, but just confusing because I didn't know who I even was anymore. You know, everything that I had everything that had constituted my self-definition was kind of gone and and so looking back on it now realizing that i i had no sort of idea how to work through that in a constructive way and what it would require require of me to move forward um with grace um i realized that it was a grieving process and you have to grieve the loss of an identity um Sometimes it's by choice, sometimes it's by fate, or whatever the circumstances of life, something doesn't work out, you have a failure, you have a disappointment, or it's just you realize something's not serving you anymore, and you need to move on. It could be a career, it could be a relationship, a marriage, it could be a passion or something, you know, that if you had an injury, or you had, um, there's so many reasons why somebody might have to move forward from something that used to be a defining part of their life. and and figure out how to move on. And for me, it was a grieving process that I went through every stage, and I didn't even realize it at the time until I had you know twenty twenty hindsight to realize I was in denial, and I was bargaining, and I was and then I went through being angry, angry at other people, angry at myself, you know, being really depressed and down and suffering and and um, self loathing and self medicating and all the things that I did to try to deal with that pain. And ultimately it was to come to a place of acceptance of what had passed and what I had lost and that it doesn't have to be defining of me to have lost that it's a part of who I am. Uh, but it's, I think when I was in the middle of it, I thought to myself, well, life is just, um, never going to be what I thought it was or what it once was. And I'm just going to have to deal with suffering through that for the rest of my life. Um, and then at a certain point I realized, um, you know there there are seasons to life you know and in each season what's important to us might be very different from what was important to us when we were younger and you know, heaven help us if we're when we're 56, you know, as uh, invested in what we were invested in when we were sixteen. you know, <laughs> It's natural that our that that our lives change and evolve and that we find new passions and new uh, meaning and things that we invest ourselves in fully. And sometimes you can't even see what's around the corner and what's going to be that. And I certainly couldn't when I was in the middle of that. So it's important to, I think, realize that that as you move forward, it, it may be really difficult when you're going through it. But eventually, if you're open to it, um, you can turn that page. You can find closure on that chapter and take with you everything you learned from that, and be, it'll be a part of you forever. But you can find new new horizons that are just as, if not more, fulfilling because you had to go through that and because you had to turn that page and find. Um, a new sense of purpose.
1: And I think that's an important thing, what you just mentioned as well of, it's not that you won't take it with you. It It's a part of your past. It's a part of who you are in that sense, but, and you won't forget it, but you're taking what you've learned from that and moving forward into this new chapter, um, with all of that, you know, information and just experience under your belt from there and yeah heaven help us if when I was 16 that was the same thing I wanted when or when I'm 56 heaven help us all but um I think that's important and another reminder of life's not linear We know we've talked previously that career paths aren't linear but life's not linear either um and there's curveballs and there's different things like that and so I think that's an important reminder um as well to you know it's okay to close the chapter on a book and move forward and take those experiences with you and, and see what's out there next.
0: I think it takes a very strong person to recognize that and do that too, because we, we do get really attached to our dreams, especially if they've been things that we've been holding on to for a really long time, for years and years and building up to, and kind of reminds me of that, that saying, um, I'm glad I didn't end up with what I thought I wanted. um, and it, we just never really know, you know, um, five years from now, you could want something totally different. And that's completely okay. And I think we see it a lot too with, um, with students and switching majors, you know, um, there's such such a pressure on young people to sort of figure it out. And I think on everyone too to have it figured out. But um, if you're listening out there, you don't need to have it figured out.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's, that's a great line that you gave there you know I, I i've been thinking about that a lot lately like because for the longest time i was relating to the past and the things that i did and, and the things that i lost as i don't get to do the things that i wanted to do anymore um but now i i, I kind of compare like what if my life had become what i wanted it to be at that time compared to what my life is now you know i, I might still be the drummer in rune five and i'm sure that would be Fulfilling and wonderful in some ways. Um, but it also would have been, you know, exhausting in the ways in which it was for me back then. I might have be, I might be a lot richer than I am today. <laughs> However, what would I have given up in the process? You know, uh all the things that I'm getting to do in my life now um, are essential to, to my being. You know, the ways in which I'm being able to be creative and express myself outside of just being one. Uh, of five and six and seven guys now, <laughs> um, but I'm I'm getting to help people. I'm getting to to be of service to people. I'm getting to learn and grow in ways that if I were just playing show after show on the road in that lifestyle, I wouldn't be able to. So, you know, it, it's easy to kind of look at it in that way, where of what of what was lost as opposed to what was gained, you know. And and if I I really do think I'm probably. More fulfilled than I would have been had I not lost that.
0: You mentioned previously that um, hindsight is twenty twenty, or it sort of turned into hindsight is twenty twenty for you as you're processing your journey. Um, it sounds like we we may already have an answer to this question, but looking back, is there anything um, that you would have done differently, knowing what you know now?
2: Yeah. Well, look, I have I do have a lot of regrets, and I, I always kind of shrug when people say, you know, no regrets. And it's like, no regrets. Like we all make mistakes. I know you're supposed to, the attitude is, you know, if you learn something from it, then it wasn't, it was essentially a good thing in the end. Uh, but that doesn't mean if you could go back, you wouldn't do it differently. Right. (laughs) So I do think, you know, regrets, uh, can be a, a tool for learning. Um, I think some of the stuff we've talked about in terms of being open, um, having a mindset of growth, having, being, uh, remaining teachable. Those are the things that I would do differently if I could go back and, and be a teenager in my twenties again. Uh, as a young man, I had a lot of pride, you know, uh, I, I didn't think I knew everything deep down inside. I didn't think I had all the answers or that I, um, that I was the best at everything, but I just wasn't very receptive to criticism or, or to new information that contradicted the information I had and so when presented with things that could have been helpful that might have improved been ways for me to improve myself both as a as a drummer and performer but just as a young man learning how to how to how to do this thing called life <laughs> um you know, if I had been more open, if I had been more teachable, I probably would have avoided a lot of pain. (laughs) So going back and looking at it, if I could do it over again, I think I would have just, you know, been a little, had a little bit more of the, the humility that comes with maturity and with the the ways in which life has humbled me and, and be able to learn some of those lessons and, and, and grow earlier on in my journey.
1: (laughs) Oh, to be a teenager again. (laughs) No, I think that's, that's an important lesson to, I mean, and like you said, it kind of comes with maturity, but even now it's just still learning to be teachable. And like you've said, and kind of going back to what we talked about at the beginning, keeping that growth mindset, if you were to stay the same person today through the rest of your life, what would you miss out on? Right. What, whether other experiences, are you not, living and experiencing by remaining the exact same person um so that just made me think of that of like it I literally don't know why this came into my mind but a stick in the mud like you aren't changing you aren't moving would you want to be a stick in the mud that's a terrible analogy but it it kind of it kind of works I'm gonna go with it um but it's okay to change and it's okay okay to grow and it's encouraged
2: yeah, seeing life as a process and a journey, you know, I know that's cliche, you know, it's a, it's a journey, not a destination. You never really get there, you know, even when you achieve something and you, and you take a moment to realize like, wow, I, I really did work hard or wait a long time to get to this place. Um, life still keeps going on after that. And if you don't have more journeys and more destinations that you're leading towards in life, then, yeah, you're not moving anywhere. And where's the sense of adventure in that? You know, and not to knock anyone who like discovers their career at age twenty two and sticks with that one career for the next fifty years. You know, that's if you find fulfillment and and uh, and passion in in one thing your whole life, uh, that can be wonderful too if it's something that really fills you up. Um, but I think you know, for most of us, whether it's a career change or it's just finding new ways to to reconnect and find new passions and things in life, uh, that sense of adventure is important you know, otherwise, what are we living for? If we're just kind of like a robot going through the the motions every day, the same one after another.
1: No, absolutely. And it's, and like you said, it's not may not just be a career change, but just life in general, finding something, you know, kind of going back to the you don't know what you don't know. So there may be a new passion out there that you have no idea about, or there may be, you know, a career that you've never heard about that sounds that comes on your radar and, 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 kind of speaks to you on that level of, wow, that's something that I'm really interested in. So keeping that sense of adventure, keeping the growth mindset is to be open to those opportunities is, is very, is a good reminder. Sarah, do you have any last questions for Ryan?
0: Yeah, we can turn it around on um, Ryan as well as do you feel like there's anything that we haven't touched on that you would love to talk about or um, that you think would be valuable for our audience or anything about yourself or your story that you would like us to, um, to touch or share?
2: Yeah, well, I was thinking earlier, you know, just to, to bring it back around to UCLA and what I gained from UCLA and, and my connection to, you know, being a Bruin is a big part of my identity as well. And uh, I grew up in L.A. and my dad was in L.A. He grew up in L.A. as well and and went to uh, he has a degree from UCLA law school. So kind of a legacy family, I guess, where my brother and my dad and, and I are all UC guys. Um, so a lot of connection there. I remember going to UCLA football games when I was a kid. I was actually at the Rose Bowl for the UCLA USC uh, uh, Rose Bowl game in, wait, or maybe it was the last game of the regular season when it was Rodney Pete for USC and Troy Aikman for UCLA. That's how old I am. So that, <laughs> that so I've been a Bruin through and through since I was a kid. And and honestly, of all the interesting things I've done in my life and achievements that I've been lucky enough to, um, to achieve, uh, you know, getting a degree from UCLA is one of my proudest things that I've done in my life I, I really I cherished those years I had such a wonderful time living in Westwood and the interesting and inspiring people that I've met my fellow Bruins and lifelong friends that I made um and and even just what I learned you know I again I didn't know like what an English degree was gonna lead to exactly I understand better now 20 years later uh what it what it means to me and I think the thing that I took from it most was uh, the tools of critical thinking, because you know having to digest all this information and write papers about it and and construct uh, you know a thesis and support it, uh, that plays such a factor in everything that I do. Whether it's working with clients and and you know taking in the information that they're giving me and and providing feedback you know, formulating something that I can offer them that's going to be helpful. Um, You know, all the the papers I wrote in in grad school, certainly, uh, I learned a lot for my English degree for that. And just, just, you know, being somebody who's able to, to think for myself, you know, more than anything, I think that's what the education at UCLA gave me was the ability to think for myself and to think critically. So I am so grateful for my time at UCLA and all of the things that it continues to give me at this point in my life reaching out to the alumni association now and and in the things that I'm doing has been a wonderful resource. So don't forget what a what a great resource that is for you as students and as alumni to have to be attached to that UCLA community and name.
0: We should have you as a spokesperson. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> um we kind of touched on some of our other rapid fire um questions, but uh, do you want to tell us sort of along the the theme of UCLA being such a wonderful, vibrant place? Um, what is your favorite place on campus?
2: So many places. That, I mean, I want to go back to campus. I haven't been there in a long time. Uh, I haven't had a good reason, but I, I, you know, I have like so many memories from very distinct places on campus. I remember sitting with a few of my friends on on Bruin Walk East, I guess it is, right near Kirkhoff Hall and right around there. There used to be a Taco Bell right there. (laughs) I don't know if there still is, (laughs) but we used to grab Taco Bell or Panda Express or whatever, and just sit there and people watch and wait for our other friends to walk by. And I just remember it being so beautiful and and just so lovely and inspiring to sit there and and see all the people coming by and talk to people. Um, So I have a lot of good memories from that. My band actually played on, uh, is it Bruin Plaza right there in the middle? Yeah, that stage there, we played outside there one time. So I have a good memory of that. I think there was a picture of us on the cover of, uh, the, the newspaper, uh, the daily Bruin from that show. So, I mean, I, I was an English major. So a lot of my classes were like, a, you know, Northeast campus up there. So a lot of good memories up there. Um, like, well, what were the, um, Rolf hall is the English department, I think, but, um, Dixon Plaza and, uh, Royce Hall and I remember them all. (laughs) A lot of great memories.
0: You'll be happy to hear campus really hasn't changed all that much. I was uh walking around last week um on campus uh day for me in the office and a band was playing in uh Bruin Plaza up on that stage and they had they had a little group that were they were nodding their heads and dancing along and i think it was a, a jazz quartet from the school of music maybe but i i had a moment walking past where i was like this is such a great campus um but i i love those choices
1: so last rapid fire question and i know we've kind of touched on it for some of your you know favorite pieces media but what's a piece of media that you recently consumed be it a book an article a podcast tv show
2: well uh last night i watched two shows and watched um, The Last of Us, the most recent episode of that, uh, which I binge watched a week or two ago and then caught up. Um, that was interesting. I don't normally watch like post-apocalyptic zombie shows. That's not really my thing. Uh, but I we kept hearing about episode three and how amazing it was. And I was so curious to uh, to get there. So I got myself through the first two episodes of zombies and uh, apocalypse to get to that. And then it was as good as people were saying. So it kind of hooked me. So I'm on that, on that trail now. And then the other one is uh, you. I always love a good serial killer show. <laughs> I think it's the the psychology that I like, you know, I'm so interested in psychology and I've always been interested in uh, weird and and, and, slightly maniacal characters. Uh, Some of my favorite movies of all time are like Silence of the Lambs and Seven was another big one that I loved in the 90s. So uh, yeah, I've been watching every season of you.
1: (laughs) Ryan, thank you so much for such a great interview. We really appreciate all of your time today. And I think we had a really good and important conversation for our listeners. Um, To our listeners, thank you for listening and go Bruins. Your participation supports the launch of exciting new programming that lifts the Bruin community, like the Bruin Promise, a central website showcasing UCLA-developed career and professional development, health and wellness, arts and culture, and lifelong learning resources for all stages of your life. Listen to UCLA Alumni Association President Ann Wang talk about UCLA's newest initiative. Chancellor Block has deep passion for what he calls the Bruin Promise. This means that learning out of curiosity, both in the classroom, out of the classroom, doesn't stop when you graduate, but rather continues in every stage of your life as a learner. So that's
0: really the Bruin promise through and through, that we as UCLA and as the Alumni Association are behind you, we've got your back, and we're gonna be able to provide
1: the knowledge that comes out of this incredible university, no matter what stage you're in and what you're curious about.
0: Many thanks to our episode partner, Rabbit Air. Rabbit Air offers high-end air purifiers with customized filtration, smart sensing technology, and advanced HEPA filters that can trap particles 0.3 microns in size at 99.97% efficiency. Even better, the company is Bruin owned and operated and is a proud partner of UCLA alumni. Visit rabbitair.com today to learn more about their suite of products.